Strachan and Bell together. There's Cooper breaking through. A chance now. This will be the fourth ball for Aberdeen. And Cooper puts it in wide. Close by Bishop. Well, suddenly it's become a rout. Of course, when things are going wrong against you, you don't get the breaks of the ball. Cooper in with Stewart. He didn't really know where the ball was, but he got the break. And as you say, it's a schoolboy's dream being able to take your time. Knowing that really, all you've got to do is crack it into the back of the net. Welcome to the latest episode of the Here We Go podcast. An interesting show for you this evening. Um, after what was a chastening uh, evening at home to Carabag, and then an interesting Sunday afternoon visit by Ross County. Um, as always, uh, we have Richard Hay with us this evening. How are you doing, Richard? Good evening, Martin. I'm fine, thanks. Good, good. Um, and we have two guests for you once more. Um, we've called back our resident legal eagle expert. Um, please welcome back Simon Cato. How are you doing, Simon? I'm very well, thanks, Martin. Thanks for having me back. No problem, no problem at, all. at all. And last week we had uh, Michael Grant on and he held out on us. Um, he wouldn't give us any transfer scoops, not a thing. Um, so we've got Ben Palmer this week, who I know fine is made of stronger moral fibre and will be willing to spill all the beans. Hello, Ben. <laughs> it good to see your uh, your budgets went down this week. <laughs> you got Michael on last week. Aye, I'm not getting paid as much as him. <laughs> that was well avoided. I take it we're getting no transfer scoops from you then? Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. Ah. Well, what, that, fair enough then. I suppose we'll have to deal with that. <laughs> Maybe maybe something. I'll see what I can think of by the end of the show. Brilliant. You get what you pay for, Martin. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, we'll go. Well, we'll travel back to last Thursday night um, at home to Carabag. Um, firstly, Richard. Um, obviously, we have to talk about it pre-match. We found out the the bad news about Andy Considine. Um, he's confirmed as being injured. He's going to be out till at least twenty twenty two. Cruciate ligament isn't the career ender it used to be, uh, but for a 34-year-old defender, it's going to be a big ask for him to come back strongly from this one, isn't it? Yeah, but he's a fit boy, and um, you're absolutely right. I, I think you've, you know, some of the chat about just post Christmas is maybe a bit optimistic, but second half of the season, February, March, I think is is a realistic return date for him. We certainly missed him, I would say. Um, the defense could certainly have done with him last Thursday. Um, but we we knew it was going to be bad coming out of that game in Baku. It just just the way he was, just the way he was, you know, didn't move on a stretcher kind of thing. You just feared the worst. And then you know, by the time obviously that the club decided to, to divulge some news, you kind of know that they've got an initial assessment, and it's really just a case of the specialist or indeed the the surgeon in this case uh, working on him. So yeah, fingers crossed that he's back, fighting fit. I don't see his age being a barrier to that whatsoever. 34, but he's a really healthy 34. 
you know, without this, uh, I think you could have been quite comfortably looking at another two, three years at this level, despite what a lot of other people will be saying. The confidence you can get back this season might not be as optimistic as uh, Stephen Glass is making out, though. And Simon, um, obviously, you know, you find out Constein's missing. We also go into that match uh, with Conor McLennan missing. On top of that, uh, you've got Ryan Hedges still out as well. Um, even, you know, even before before the match had even started, we were there was definitely concerns that we were up against it in the first place, wasn't there? Yeah, I think so. I think um, Hedges in particular is a big miss uh, for us. Um, it's funny l- looking back to when the pandemic started and we just signed uh, Matty Kennedy and Hedges couldn't really get in the team. And now, you know, as far as um, you know the creation of chances are, are concerned, he's a really, really important player for us. So to go into a... a a game like that where you know we're not going to get, make that many opportunities without him and indeed you know McLennan as well who's someone who does have the ability to create um opportunities going in without the pair of them was definitely a bit deflating I think we started off really aggressively um I thought you no know, looking to get you no know, looking to get back into the tie um was that do you think that was the right move um or should we possibly have been a little bit more patient I I mean it's very easy to sit here in, in hindsight and say that Aberdeen raced out of traps far too quickly and they should have done this. Stephen Glass should have done this. Very clear, even in like the first five, six minutes, when Aberdeen were pushing forward, that they were going to be exposed um quite quite severely. Um I mean Carabag certainly certainly weren't the long ball team that they, they they were in the first leg when they really took to the conditions in that pitch. I mean they were such a really good technical team and they, they, they looked absolutely lethal even in the the early exchanges when, when we got in the break. So I mean it, it's easy to sit here and say in hindsight that Aberdeen should have been a bit more patient. They had 90 minutes to overturn just a one goal deficit but look, I mean, p- people wanted to see Aberdeen go out and have a go and, and try and put this team to the sword but well, I mean, I mean, you you could probably sit here now and say that maybe maybe it would have been wiser to be a bit more patient. And I've not seen that gear from this team yet. That's the thing. I've just seen them be very open, um, not necessarily be fluent in an attacking sense always, but certainly been very open. Fullbacks very far at the pitch, and I suppose we were all guilty of. Um, Underrating what Carabag could do based on that first leg because it wasn't really a fair reflection on them. Turned out it was a pretty fair reflection on us and our ability to hurt them. But when it came to what they could do to us, much more of a footballing side at Bitodri than they had been in that first leg. You know, let's not kid ourselves at the levels we have to reach here. Uh, they were still a comparatively good draw at this round. They despite what others have said, are not going to be the best team that plays at Pedodri this season. There will be two other teams who are better than them who will play at Pedodri this season, unfortunately. And we couldn't raise our game. And um, Were we too aggressive? Were we too open from the start? Possibly. Ben's right to say, you know, hindsight is obviously twenty twenty. It's just that I haven't seen any other gear with us yet, to be perfectly honest. And you kind of knew it was going to happen. It almost had to happen, in a way. Yeah, Simon, there was a lot of talk last week, um, leading up to the game and then post-match last week about the pitch. Um, obviously, it led to Constein's injury. Obviously, we we there was talk that you know, when we get them back to Pataudry in a proper pitch, you know, it'll be a different type of game. 
probably probably found was then as Richard said there, you know, we, we, we learned a lot about what we could do on that pitch really rather than them. Um Carabag really did they proved the quality that they have with some nice and neat passing. It wasn't what they did wasn't flashy or difficult, but it's just ve- it's very neat, it's very technical and to cut us open twice to get two two very simple goals. Yeah, and it, the game actually reminded me a bit of the Scotland-Croatia game in the Euros in the sense that a lot of our passing, and, and Scotland's in that game was the same, we're, we're passing the ball to standing players. So our, our movement when we have the ball, we don't feel, feel fluent going forward at all. Um, whereas they have a lot of good movement off the ball, their, their touch was, was excellent. And as you say, they, 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 they cut us open. And, and, and to be honest... Um, that that you know their their game plan worked absolutely perfectly. It was all about us being a bit gung ho, and maybe we were. But they will have realised that um, I'm sure they fancied themselves not to lose two goals, and so they realised that if they could get one, which they did right at the right at the beginning of the game, then that was us really pretty much you know up against it even from from a very very early point. Um, but I, I do think I was thinking this again in the you know watching the the Ross County game that we'll go on to talk about, but. Um, we do have some quite tidy players in our team, but we don't have very much in the way of, uh, we don't have a lot of pace, and I'm sure, you know, hopefully Samuels is there to, to address that. But we also don't have this this movement and this this um, sort of touch and go that, that Carabag had. And um, I think that was a big difference between the, the, the teams. We, we seem very ponderous in our build-up compared to them. We weren't obviously helped by some pretty slack passing and distribution from us as well, which is... Particularly McCrory, obviously for their second goal, giving the ball away. I know, despite the fact I know there's a, there was a talk of offside, uh, McCrory struggled there. I think Teddy Jenks starting probably shows that he's not ready for that level of football. Um, so if he's not ready for that, as Richard says, we will face two probably better sides this season in Celtic and Rangers. That was perhaps maybe a wrong choice there, but if we're being honest, there was a few others that weren't far behind them. They're looking a little bit out of place that night. I mean, you could probably take from it, but people at Petodre think the same thing as what I'm about to say, but Aberdeen that night just looked like a team that wasn't quite finished. There's been three signings pretty much since then, so I mean, that would suggest itself that it, it was an Aberdeen that took to the pitch that night, but it wasn't quite finished. Uh, it felt a bit, bit part. I mean, Declan Gallagher and Ross McCrory would not be the club's first choice centre back pairing, you wouldn't have think, uh, you wouldn't have thought. Um and it, it just felt a little bit bit part of it. I mean Glass and I mean I'm taking it forward to, to Sunday's result, but Glass after the game kinda said that not only and he he didn't really get into the tiredness aspect of it or the fatigue of the, the rigorous schedule. But more the point that they haven't actually done much work in the training pitch since the the start of the season. I mean you, you go Thursday, Sunday, Thursday, Sunday for the best part of six, eight weeks. You've got no time to actually work on what you're what you're doing tactically, and I th- I think you definitely saw that in the Carabao game. Um, and I mean, I suppose we'll come on to this kind of conversation, but you would hope that that's the type of thing that that would be improved over the international break going into to the next round of fixtures coming up. Yeah, I think that's quite an interesting point, Richard. That you're finding yourself preparing for these European teams. Or preparing for a Scottish side, um, rather than you know kind of breaking in the breaking in whatever new, what call a new system a new player. It's the tenth game of the season, I think the Carabag one was. We looked uh, a bit, a lot more disjointed than just the the tenth game of a of a season or the sixteenth game of Stephen Glass's reign. Um, 
I think it's around about that. We were outclassed is is the bottom line and we are finding this quite frequently and um, at this level. And the defeats that used to be sort of narrow defeats to the likes of Maribor and Apollo Limassol are turning into defeats where we're frankly getting our arses handed to us, like Laika a couple of years ago, supporting Lisbon, I think everyone accepted, but like like uh, last week against Karabakh. I think having a team that has grown together and, and plays together regularly, hopefully that will improve things. But it's a real concern that just to see that gap so evident on the pitch last Thursday night, I, and it, it feels like a really long way sitting here right now to bridge that. Jump in there, I mean, over the last what, seven consecutive Europa League campaigns or however much it was, it always seemed to be this year while Aberdeen smashed through the glass hurdle, will this group of players finally sort of jump over that next hurdle or, or what have you. This summer's been a complete and utter reset in terms of the squad, in terms of the players. So for a lot of them, it was the first time we'd ever tasted Europe. So, I mean, you're, you're, you're almost going back to, oh God, you know better than than I will, what the first game was, um, Aberdeen played in Europe under McInnes, but it, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of vain, I mean, I think the squad's in a better place now than it was then, but it, it's kind of the same thing, where, where players are, are learning European experience on the job, they haven't got those years of experience, which which maybe the previous squad did. I think it's it's almost less about the players, to be honest, than about the manager. Um, you know, the two perhaps best performers through this European run has been have been the two young fullbacks who obviously haven't mm-hmm. had any first team experience, let alone experience in Europe prior to this season. And um, up front, the, the two who haven't experienced Europe in terms of Emmanuel Thomas and Ramirez both equipped themselves quite well. You know, you're looking for people to bridge that gap, you're looking for people who've got the experience. And we spoke last week about what a positive start Scott Brown had made. He was pretty anonymous on Thursday. He's the type of player that you need to stand up and you need him to be the centre point of a night like that. And it just never came. That's what we're coming, we're coming to the conclusion there, Simon. I mean, we've, we were taught, really, we were taught a lesson from a seasoned European side. And I wouldn't say they were a, a great European side, but they're a seasoned side. Who, one of these sides who they don't need need the gifts and naivety that we showed. Um, obviously, they're happy to accept them, but come in the end, I mean, we're more than well beaten. I mean, at 2-0 on the night, the tie was over. The atmosphere had pretty much all but disappeared, um, and it, it really was. Um, it really was. It's 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 always frustrating when we go to Europe with like a damp squib like this. Well, you were talking before about some of the teams that have, have beaten us, and I know that this is slightly different. We're in the playoff round, and it's the the conference rather than Europa League where we've been before. But um, they did seem to be a cut above some of the teams, like particularly Maribor, um, who were a team that we could have beaten. Karat Almaty, I don't think were as good as as Carabag. Um, either, but um, yeah, the 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 gulf uh, does appear to be does appear to be there, and um, I I don't know um, you know the, the the club is clearly ambitious to become a top one hundred club. They've talked about that, and to get this kind of regular seasoning that you were talking about in Europe, where Carabag are, uh, you know, I think they went into Milan and got a draw a few years ago. They certainly gave Celtic a fright, uh, although Celtic knocked them out. Um, so they have got experience in in these really really big games, and I was thinking when I, when I was watching the game, and it went to two nil. My mind went back to the to the guest that you had on a couple of weeks ago, the the um, chap who knew about Azeri football, who was saying if they get ahead, 
then you've really got a problem because th these guys know how to uh, keep the ball and, and run the clock down and are, are you know, well-versed in all of this. And actually, they went on. Their, their, their third goal was an excellent goal, to be honest. But by that time, they were able to pick us off at the back where we were, we were starting to get all the more frantic going forward. And I think um, it, it, is, it is hard because they have the advantage of um, well, I think this is the first year that they haven't been champions in their league for, for a long time. So they do have the advantage of, of that kind of superiority in their local league and getting the best players locally that are, that are available. And um, getting to that standard is, is a challenge, but there is um, the, 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 the technical side of the game is something I think we need to, to work on. And not just us, but in, in Scotland generally, it seemed to me that that was an area where they were um, superior to us. They, they weren't they weren't better athletes, they weren't better organised necessarily, but their, their technical side of the game was better than ours. I suppose the fact remains, ultimately, that it's difficult to get through this qualifying route. We would have been unseeded in the third qualifying round and could easily face the Carabag or worse at that round. We got a bit lucky and ended up playing the Icelanders. And we got what I genuinely still maintain was a, was a, was a pretty fair draw for the fourth qualifying round. It's difficult to get through to the group stages with our ranking through this route. Obviously, the goal this season has to be, again, to finish third, or finish at least as high as third, rather. And, you know, that path for the next couple of years is definitely going to be open. We all thought it was going to be open this year, but it's definitely going to be open for the next two years at least. Of finishing third or winning the Scottish Cup guarantees you group stage football. Then you have to build on that. Then you have to live that experience, build up on that experience, and try and get closer to a levels that we saw that Carabag team hit on Thursday and use that advantage of that guaranteed group stage football to, to build your experience within the squad. Ben, I mean there's been there's been some rumblings about obviously you no know, this is this is the third you know the third tier of European football and we should be doing better. Perhaps some people didn't realise you know, how decent kind of level of teams we're going to be coming up against is I mean, yes, obviously there's your Tottenham's, your Romas and all these type of teams are in it as well. There's some good teams. You're going to come up against good teams like Carabag. I mean, I suppose it is frustrating when you see teams like Flora Tallinn and Lincoln Red Imps getting in the group stages, and fair enough that you know that you do see a frustration there. But unfortunately, the, the level we find ourselves at, you're you know you're you're at the, the mercy of the draw, and you're going to come up against that you no know, a tough team to, if you want to get to the groups. Yeah, I mean, those clubs qualify for this year's tournament. I think will probably be the exception. Uh, rather than the rule, you're. I mean, the the way this competition's set up, you're you're going to get minnows somehow qualify for the group stages. I mean, I think that's for me. I mean, I know the competition's been derided, but I think that's for me why it makes it such such a great competition. This third tier of teams that aren't the elite. I mean, you've got your Spurs and Roman there, but it, I mean, it's it's teams of Aberdeen's level or slightly better than Aberdeen's level competing against one another. And I mean, you can't you can't say that the the prestige of it. Uh, would it have well sorry but it would have been it would have been prestigious sorry if you'd got the group stages no matter who had come to Pataudry for for group stage fixtures and I mean certainly the money there's a massive gap between the Champions League and the Europa League but there's actually not that much of a difference between the Europa League and the Conference League I mean the club would have still banked upwards of three million pounds I mean probably not in all likelihood closer to four or five million pounds which which in terms of the playing squad and if you're putting that into the playing budget, I mean that's that's astronomical money for a club like Aberdeen, and it would have it would have came in very very handy, I'd imagine. 
I don't know whether he's he's done it yet, but I'm sure that uh, Ewan Murray has been, uh, it's probably just waiting with his tweet about, oh, Lincoln Redemps made the groups, uh, but Aberdeen didn't. That just shows a lack of understanding about how the qualifying routes work. There's a league path, which has meant that the Estonian champions, the Gibraltar champions have, have won through their qualifying path and got through. Um, and there is our path, which is littered with teams who have been over this course, who are in Europe consistently year after year. And it's still going to be difficult for us. It's still going to be a long shot for us to qualify. There's a huge disappointment there because it's happened again and again and again. But, you know, it's not like you're facing the same team like, over and over again. And it's the same conditions over and over again. It's still just a tough challenge year on year on year. So anyone out there who's saying, oh, we bottled it. Maybe on the, on the night we, we didn't approach it in the right fashion. And maybe there's a, hint, a definite hint of naivety about the way the manager and the team approached it. But... Ultimately, they're a team we've been over this course many, many times before. Their team would probably spend a bit more money on the squad than we do, so it's difficult to, to verify that. And it just as I think many of the key players that Pitodri came out with in the aftermath of that game, it shows the level to which we need to aspire. Well, Richard, as Ben mentioned there, obviously there was a lot of money at stake. And I think that would have, you know, the money that was on the prize money that was available would have probably affected. For maybe in a small way, um, the transfer business that the club's going to do um, in the window. Uh, prior to the Carabao game, uh, it was obviously announced that uh, we were, we'd signed a 20-year-old striker, Austin Samuels, on loan from Wolves. Now, you're a you're a keen football manager, manager player, so I'm sure you've heard all about him, but I think most of us probably hadn't really heard anything about him. Um, and then, obviously, you know, we were bringing back uh, Marley Watkins as well. My days on football manager are probably gone. It takes a bit. It takes a PhD in about six hours just to get through pre-season these days. Um, but clearly, what we were lacking up front, what we've been lacking throughout the whole team, is is some pace. And early indications on Sunday suggest that Austin Samuels is definitely blessed with that. Marley Watkins, I am very happy to see coming back. Um, I thought he was a very intelligent player last season, offered much more in gameplay than I expected him to offer in terms of being able to hold the ball up there. Because I thought that was something that we actually struggled with on Thursday and indeed on, on, on Sunday, uh, was getting somebody close enough to Ramirez and Ramirez able to, to hold that ball in and lay it off. And that was part of the reason why things just weren't quite gelling in an attacking sense. So we know Watkins can bring that and he can play across that three supporting the attacker and if need be he can play as a central striker in a one or he can pair with Ramirez so so I think he's a he's a he's a good signing he's got a good calibre and I'm, I'm actually really surprised that we've been able to to pick him up permanent. Now Simon the one that I'm really personally quite interested in here is is the loan um, from Newcastle of Marty Longstaff everything that we've read about him, their fans seem to really rate him highly obviously he had that eye-catching goal um, against Manchester United on his debut. From what you hear from the fans, you know they talk about him a really tidy player. And we did see we did see glimpses of that on Sunday, but basically their um their fans just seem to think that here's a really talented young player that's been mismanaged by a manager who's worn out his welcome with support. Where do we recognise that from? Well, I think he, he, we we all saw this with the McInnes um, era. That the one thing he wasn't good at was bringing young guys through the team or giving people a a a, a run in the team if if they showed promise. And I think um, the same issue that that McInnes faced is um, exacerbated at Premiership level because if you're the manager of Newcastle, there is first of all pressure on you to play guys who are potentially getting paid 
very, very big salaries and potentially cost a lot of money. And also, you know from the start of the season that you're likely to be in a relegation battle, if not right at the very bottom, and certainly bottom half of the league. And therefore, to, to put in and continue to play in the centre of your midfield, a young player, adds quite a lot of pressure. And I think if we're all doing our, our fantasy teams at the moment, uh, you can see that the, the squads that, that Premier League teams carry at the moment are absolutely vast. Um, we'll come on to the size of our squad, no doubt, in a, in a short time as well. But the, 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 the squads are huge. So, so there are lots of players who are decent players who will get to that age, maybe 22, 23, and, and simply aren't able to make a sustained breakthrough in the team. But it doesn't mean that they're not um, quality players. So I, I must say uh, there's been a few surprises for me about the, the Longstaff deal. I'm surprised that we were able to get him ahead of what I regard as um, or what I heard was, was um, interest from championship clubs. And I say that because if you have got an interest from a championship club in England, if he, if he went there and didn't do well, then there probably would still be opportunities elsewhere for, um, for him at, at you know, possibly clubs like ours or, or, or elsewhere. Whereas if he comes and does a season in Scotland and performs poorly, then it may be a challenge for him to get picked up by a championship team. So I'm quite impressed that he's been willing to come and, and I assume that he's been given, um, I'm sure not assurances, but I'm sure he's been given positive uh, chat about his prospects of, of getting a game and getting in the team. And he's decided to come and, to come and do that. And, and I'm impressed by him with his uh, desire to play. I'm impressed with, with um, the management and, and uh, Cormac in, in getting the, a transfer like this um, over the line. It does leave us with a lot of centre midfielders. I didn't think that the three of them together in the centre midfield looked like it worked terribly well. And, and clearly, um, I think someone is going to have to take a more forward role. But equally, I, I also think that at the moment, um, we're very heavily reliant on on Scott Brown, and I think having had a really positive start with us, it's very obvious to me that he is not going to be able to play fifty five games or whatever we we end up playing this season. Um, may not be as much as that, but it'll be certainly north of fifty. And um, if we have got someone else who's going to be able to take up a lot of the slack there, then then getting someone else into the team, and you know, it's probably bad news for for Dylan McGeech because I don't know where he fits into things if if we've signed um Longstaff. But I think, to me, it looks like an ambitious signing, a good one and ambitious for the player. So I think it's good news all around. Simon, aren't you just a little bit surprised that, yeah, you spoke about it there, that we're bringing another centre midfielder in. To me, it only really makes sense if, if Lewis Ferguson's away, quite frankly. And it's got a hint of Stephen Glass filling up his old club, sort of asking who might be available, finding out that this guy is, knowing that he's of a good calibre and played at a good level and just biting your hands off to try and get him without actually thinking about the balance of the squad. Well, that that, that puts a more negative gloss on it than than I had. I mean, you are right that we'll see what we'll see what Bates is is like, but you're you're right that if we were looking at the balance of the squad and particularly taking into account Andy Considine's injury, uh, then you would be looking at more defensive players. I mean, to, to be honest, um, given the, the signings we've made at the, the top end of the pitch as well. So I, I totally agree with that. I, I am definitely inferring that uh, Ferguson is on the way out. And one of the things that we will have learned from the January transfer uh, window is when we reached a deal to sell Cosgrove with, you know, a, whatever, a day to go, and we had a 
you know, mad dash around the market grabbing inadequate strikers um, and, and frankly wrote off the second half of the season on the back of that, then um, it, putting, putting my more um, positive spin on things, if, if this was planning for a transfer that we, that we know is going to happen by getting a quality replacement in first, then that seems to me a better way of managing the, the outward transfer of Ferguson than, than waiting until he goes and then charging about. Yeah, of course. Yeah, of course. It's just, just right now, um, I'm not seeing too much evidence publicly, anyway, of um, credible bids for for Lewis Ferguson. But we don't obviously know what's going on behind the scenes. I completely agree. But if if it if that were the case, and and he was not going out, then firstly we would have to look at um, whether it was two out of three from. Brown, Longstaff and, and Ferguson that, that played because three players in that position I don't think really works terribly well. And then we'd have to look at some of the other players in the squad and wonder what was going to happen with them. Uh, already it looks like Dean Campbell is being uh, refashioned as a left back um, and and may get to sort of share that role with, with Mackenzie. Um, and as I say, McGeech appears to be completely out of favour. So uh, it may it may not just be Ferguson that that they're looking at, but there may be others in the squad who would who would move out as well. Well, we'll definitely come back to that as well as the Scott Brown stuff um, when we're discussing the the Ross County game. Um, ben, one of the things obviously with um, with Mike Longstaff coming in is we've seen players in the past come up from whether it's the English Championship or the Premiership coming up on loan to Scotland um, and not really being. I should I say prepared for that? I mean, the, the the positive I think we'll have from him is his brother was up here. Um, mm-hmm. His brother played about twenty games for Kilmarnock, um, so you'll be under you'll be under no illusions that how about how physical, how quick the league is. So it shouldn't take him that long to to bed in, I suppose. I uh, I might get let out in the magic circle for for giving this away, but Matty Longstaff did the follow up player uh, yesterday at Pataudry so he'll be in Tuesday's papers I mean I'd imagine you'll start seeing his quotes pop online at half past ten Monday night, when's this podcast go out? I hope it's not before half past ten Monday night but anyway he, he, he said along the lines of that he, he saw his brother playing up here, he knew it was going to be a million miles an hour, he'd spoken to Scott Brown and Stephen Glass about it but he also told it was going to be a million miles an hour Ryan Fraser sold him in the move but I mean, one one thing I actually liked about Longstaff, and, and apart from the fact that he came in and actually said hi to the press and said, I hope you're all okay, very good by the way, which means he's not going to get a bad report from me until he, the, until he goes back to Newcastle, and he also wished us well when he left the room, so absolutely, he'll not be getting a word of criticism from me this season. But he, he said something that kind of stood out to me, and it was that Aberdeen is a, is a one-club city like Newcastle. And I didn't quite have the heart to tell him that Cove Rangers are now climbing up the leagues um, at a rate of knots. But it just seems to me that he he, he had a he had a, a good think about moving to Scotland. It wasn't as if he just dived into it. I think he knows what he's coming into. He he seems the type who, who won't shirk a challenge. So I mean, I I, I think like basically what you asked, man. I mean, is he ready for it? And I think he is. I mean, it's it's going to be physical. It's going to be fast for the guy. But I I think he. Um, I think he'll be up for that challenge. 
Well, you should be fine. That um, Richard isn't going to do the have the edit done by half past ten tonight, so um, you'll be okay and your secret's safe. Um, half past ten tomorrow is usually the challenge. Yeah, and just just for the record, I wasn't in the room at the press conference, so that wasn't any kind of perceptive analysis from me either, because that is not what I do. Richard brings the negativity. I don't bring anything perceptive, any perceptive analysis. You can stop that sentence halfway through, Martin. I know. <laughs> Um, we, <laughs> we also uh, also announced officially before, prior to the Ross County game uh, was the signing of David Bates on a three-year deal from Hamburg. Rather than doing the usual um, checking him out on Wikipedia and watching some YouTube videos, as always, um, this podcast tries to go directly to somebody who knows what they're talking about. Disclaimer here: I'm not Derek Ray, and I'm not going to try. And I'm going to so I will be mangling the pronunciation here. Um, but Richard spoke to Matthew Karagic of the Bundesliga Two podcast uh, to get the down low on David Bates. Matthew, thanks for joining me this morning. Um, so David Bates' time out in Germany, I mean, there was quite a show of faith when he first went over because it was a four-year deal. And so it's not as if they thought this was just a stopgap signing. I think in the first place. Well, first of all, thank you for having me on the podcast. And yeah, it, it, it certainly, after his stint at Rangers, there was definitely a feeling that he could take the next step, even though, I guess, going from Scotland's Premier Division to the second tier in German football, the Spider Bundesliga, there was definitely some, some belief that, you know, at 2021, he would be able to develop into a very high-quality centre-back that Hamburg could rely upon for, for many years to come. But as we, we've come to know, um, it wasn't the case. No, uh, definitely not. So he did play fairly consistently in that first season. And I'm sure what Hamburg expected it to be was that one season sojourn down in the uh, second tier. But it's not turned out that way. 100%. And I think the luxury for, for Bates was that initially he had a manager who was really consistent on, on playing him in, in Christian Tietz. And I mean, I, I don't think Bates realized the situation behind the scenes at Hamburg. It, it's a, it's been a bit of a mess for the last few seasons. There's been a lot of coaching changes, which we'll, I'm sure we'll t touch on uh, in a moment. But yeah, when he had Christian Tietz and then Hannes Wolf midway through that first season, he was getting consistent game time. But as, as we kind of saw towards the end of the season, when Hamburg were starting to struggle in that 18-19 um, season. We did see that Bates started to get less and less squad uh, game time and, and then eventually the last game of the season he didn't play at all. Yeah, I mean the last two years he's been he's been shunted out on loan. One of them more successful than the other and we'll come to that in a minute. But obviously because of the situation Hamburg find themselves in, it's been a pretty heavy rotation of managers and you know I wonder of the disappointment of his time in Germany, you know, how much can you attribute to his own shortcomings? But how much do you put to the fact that Hamburg themselves will have been in quite a period of soul-searching turmoil? I, I guess I guess the best way to describe where Hamburg have been over the last few seasons is the, the movie Groundhog Day. <laughs> uh, at, the st at the start of each season, they've had a completely new manager and a new system and and that manager has had a different opinion on what the current squad is, who should be playing, and, and in terms of what the squad looks like going forward. And unfortunately for him, the years where Dieter Hecking, Daniel Tune, and, and now Tim Walter, um, none of them have really seemed to rate Bates' abilities. Uh, as we saw with the, you know, the, the year with, under Hecking, he, he was shipped to Sheffield Wednesday, where he made 
only a singular appearance and really struggled to get into the matchday squad. Uh, and then under Daniel Tiyun, he was he was shipped off to Belgium. Um, part of it was his shortcomings as a player. Like he was prone to making mistakes, and some of his mistakes were proven to be costly. But it, as a general term, he wasn't particularly like he wasn't poor by any stretch of the imagination. It was more or less. His consistencies in situational play was where he did come unstuck. And I think, um, you know, the more experienced Dieter Hecking, that, that second season of him uh, where Bates was at Hamburg, he, he definitely saw as if uh, he couldn't rely on Bates as much as the likes of Van Drongel and, and Gideon Jung. And, and that's why we, we did see Bates spend some, some loan spells over the last couple of years. Yeah, there was a Stoian built this uh, week about... Uh, about the fact he'd been living at the onsite hotel at the training complex, training with the under twenty ones, and not even being considered for the reserves. So you obviously play in the uh, regional liga. Um, yep. <laughs> that is not a good situation for any professional to be in. No, it's really rare as well that someone who was touted with high potential could be completely, in in essence, almost frozen out of the entire setup, and. For a player, like the biggest thing that you you really want to feel is that the club that you're at wants you to be there. And I think it became pretty clear that even though he was pretty strong in his spell at uh, Circle Brugge, um, Hamburg were done with him, and and they felt that they had better options. Whether they came through the academy or they could they could get them from somewhere else. We saw, you know, Sebastian Schonlau from Paderborn and 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 Eunice David who is part of Hamburg's academy and, and was on loan at Würzburg and Kickers, they felt that they were better options going forward. They've also got Moritz High and a bunch of other players that just jumped the queue. And, you know, for Bates, you know, entering what is considered the prime of his career at age 24, you've got to get regular playing time at a higher standard. Otherwise, it really can go pear-shaped. So I guess for him... You know, making the move out of Germany and and reestablishing himself uh, in the Scottish game is definitely a good step for him, especially if he wants to get considered for the national team and going forward. Yeah, because that was something that was happening in his first season in Germany that he was making squads consistently. Um, one of the reasons that uh, we're hearing at this side of the deal, anyway, as to why he was, why he struggled over there and why he maybe um, was being rejected by repeated managers was his difficulty in playing out from the back, difficulty in being that comfortable on the ball. My recollection of him in Scotland was of a slightly old school centre half, physically imposing. Um, You spoke about difficulties in situational defending. Are you talking about struggles in one-on-one or are you talking about struggles more with the ball there? Definitely with with the ball. And, and, a lot of the teams that he played in with at Hamburg and managers like Daniel Tune, I mean Tim Volter especially, and and T, Christian Tietz, those guys love ball playing defenders. They have typically a keeper that presses, like pushes up the ground. Uh, they like to play high lines and where you can get undone in those situations if you have a centre back who can't really be relied upon in possession. Um, especially when the ball gets turned over, you create the opposition can create quick counterattacks with with relative ease, and yeah, that that was a big problem. I don't think he was particularly bad in one on one situations. Set piece defending seemed reliable, but you know there there were a lot going on in the background of Hamburg, and and as a unit they struggled in a lot of situations, especially later on in the season, yeah. as we've come to come to see. But yeah, I, don't, I think Bates was 
solid without being spectacular, but I don't think he was who Hamburg thought they were getting. No, no, and I'm sure from Hamburg's point of view, they'll be delighted, I suppose, to get somebody who they've, well, written off, and not just for, not just at this point have they written off, but uh, it seems that last year they thought they were getting rid of him as well. So I'm sure they'll be quite happy to end this chapter. Matthew, thank you very much for your time. No worries, my pleasure. So Richard, that was really interesting stuff there. I mean, the question that I think a lot of people have had, and I have seen this asked um, on social media in the last couple of days, is that, you no, know, what are we really getting here from him? I mean, he's right-footed mainly. So we find ourselves in the position, do we still find ourselves in the same position we do with Gallagher and McCrory, where we're going to perhaps rotate the three? I, I'm not overly fussed that he's that we don't have currently have a right-handed, left-handed combination. It would be ideal, but I, I don't think that that's too much of a concern. Um, I think we're getting somebody of a good age, somebody who's got a reasonable amount of experience, both at home and abroad. Somebody's obviously played uh, a few times for Scotland as well, although you can make your own judgments on what that says about a player, especially given some of the managers that uh, gave them those caps. So I, I think... It was um, somebody that, to my mind, is probably a better all-round central defender than the option we were pursuing earlier in the summer, Clark Robertson. Um, I think there's a potential still for him to grow. There's a potential for him, like Ross McCurry, to become more of an all-round centre-back, more of the sort of centre-back that we want to see. Um, the concern clearly is that he's um, he hasn't fitted into the Hamburg structure largely because of his difficulties playing the ball out from the back, which is the which is the um, way in which Stephen Glass clearly wants us wants us to play. So I'm not convinced it's a massive massive upgrade on either Gallagher or uh, indeed Considine. As I say, good experience, good age, good physicality about him, and um, I, I, it's clearly a position that we desperately needed to to strengthen. It just seems it was inevitable David Bates would come back to this country and um, <laughs> almost a sense of inevitability that he wouldn't be he wouldn't be considered by either of the larger Glasgow clubs. It was going to be a case of which of us hearts or hips picked him up or needed a centre-half at the point in which he was ready to come back. It turns out it was us. I'm going to, I'm going to play devil's advocate here and give you this question that I've seen um, asked, is that David Bates seems more like a McInnes signing than a Stephen Glass signing. We, we, we're, we're in our only uh, our first uh, transfer window with uh, Glass at the moment, so it's hard to know what a, a, a Glass signing is. I mean, McInnes' best signings were the guys who were the standout players from other teams that we'd played against that he picked up, and he didn't always get it right. So, you know, for every Graham Shinney, there was a Curtis Main. Um, but he, he had a reasonable record of picking up guys from, from other teams. Here, I think, you know, we're, we're 11 games into the season, We've had one clean sheet, and in that game, Dundee United made a couple of good chances and probably should have scored as well. Um, I think that we, you know, and, and also obviously we've got Constantine's injury as well, but even if we hadn't had Constantine's injury, I think we'd have been looking to, to strengthen in, in that area. And the question then becomes, well, you know, wh who is available that we could reasonably acquire? And um, Richard made a good point about you know, there being a small number of teams that would potentially be suitable for Bates and us being one of them. Uh, Hearts have signed a, a centre-back on loan from, from Bristol City this week. To me, that is a much greater gamble than taking on a guy who was established in Scotland, 
was playing in the Rangers first team, capped by Scotland and got a move to, you know, frankly, a huge club in, in Hamburg. And the fact that he hasn't quite cut the mustard at a club like that shouldn't mean that, that we have great concerns about taking him on at, at SPFL level. So, you know, I, to me, we have to we have to do something about the defence. Um, uh, the centre of our defence has looked has looked weak, and I've also you know when we come on to talk about the game, um, uh, the the Ross County game, uh, I, I had concerns about the way we were bringing the ball out of the uh, out of the centre of defence. I mean, Gallagher uh, shells an awful lot of long balls, um, not often terribly accurately. So uh, I, I I I am reluctant to start um, counting my chickens. Uh, in relation to a guy that we've never seen play for us and that we haven't seen play at all for, for several years. But on the face of it, this looks like, a, I would say, a solid signing. Um, Richard, I'm obviously being very childish and petty here, but um, we've just signed an international defender, uh, Scottish defender, on a three-year deal. The club's not parading new signings on the pitch anymore. I was really hoping we'd get Marley Watkins uh, on a makeshift wobbly table in the centre circle uh, before the game on Thursday. Uh, that would definitely have been the sort of uh, 80s throwback that I would have liked to have seen. Yeah, I'm all for that. Just you know, it'd just be nice to see. Just you know, they're talking. You know, they talk about they'll build an atmosphere in the hut. There's a lassie singing yesterday, and the fire, the the flames throw and stuff. Just get the lad on and get him a round of applause. Would have been nice. So anyway, let's get, actually get to the game, uh, Ben. Um, so Ross County. Firstly, we saw we saw some changes there. Obviously, Dean Campbell uh, in the left back now. Um, we saw debuts for. Um, Samuels and Longstaff uh, those three were in for Mackenzie, Jenks and Hayes another fast positive start from us uh, particularly from Longstaff and Samuels I mean for the two of them were you impressed with what you saw early? With the way Aberdeen started it felt as if a goal was inevitable I mean I, thought, I just thought Aberdeen started well I didn't think they were great but I thought, thought we were creating enough and, and having enough of the ball in, in the Ross County defensive third that we would get a goal and then County scored and it changes the, the complexion in the first half. I thought Longstaff was good, um, and I mean, we, we've kind of mentioned it already in whether or not he's a Lewis Ferguson replacement, but, but I thought he, he kind of played that role in terms of shifting from the left of midfield to the right of midfield, picking out passes, trying to take it forward. But I mean, Glass also said that he, he, he'd prefer Longstaff to be playing higher up the park, um, and, and Longstaff said that himself after the game as well. So, so it'll be interesting to see how that develops um, when when Aberdeen return after the international break. Samuels looked a live wire. Um, I thought he lacked a bit of end product. I mean, I, I know some people described his crosses as good, but just felt that he got into good areas quite a lot of the time. And, and maybe and maybe just lacked a bit of poise when it came to picking out someone in the box. I mean, it, he just kind of flashed the, the the crosses into areas. I mean, but that that'll come with time, and we get to know his teammates as well. I mean, he, he's barely trained with them. Neither had long staff, so you you would hope, and like like I said earlier, I'm sure you would hope that the the international break will will provide them all just with a bit of chance to to get on the same wavelength as as one another. To be honest. I think Simon spoke earlier about the fact that Gallico was um, opting to, to go long quite often. I'm sure that was a tactic. I'm sure it was a tactic to try and uh, stretch the pitch. We definitely try to stretch it wide, uh, which we haven't necessarily been doing this season, and we were trying to stretch it long. Um, you trying to utilise the Samuel's pace, trying to find Ramsey on the other side as well, which we did once or twice successfully. So so I think it was a bit of a plan to try and do that. And I, I thought Samuels equ equipped himself pretty well. I was uh, He's certainly the signing I'm most dubious about from a 
hearing what other supporters have said about him standpoint because I think the Bradford City fans for whom he played 12 games and scored one goal against the mighty Tonbridge Angels um, are uh, less than complimentary about him. It's clear that he has got that pace and um, he's not short of ability. There were a couple of really, really good looking cross balls came in. I, again, though, just to echo Ben's point, the three centre midfielders were all kind of operating in the same 10 yards of each other for far too far too often in, in the game, which, um, which didn't help matters. It had led to the striker being pretty isolated until we change things up towards the end. You've, you spoke about those three midfielders there. Um, I'm going to put this one to you, Richard. Um, you, you've, given, you've given me a couple of hospital passes. So since he's the, since he's the fans' favourite at the moment, yesterday was the, yesterday when the game was sort of, we were struggling with midfield like that, yesterday was the perfect game to take Scott Brown off and put, an, put a fast attacking player on. Uh, why didn't Stephen Glass do it? Well, certainly one of those three, should have, you know, whether it were Ferguson... Longstaff or Brown should have come off and eventually the other two did. Longstaff and Ferguson were both sacrificed as we went on. I think that change could have been made earlier to be a little bit more in the front foot at home, especially after we went 1-0 down, because for far too long in that game, Ramirez was just playing a long forward up front and we weren't getting the support close enough to him. So so that change, and also bringing on the directness of Johnny Hayes um, made a difference as well, because again, for... Too long, I think, uh, on Sunday. We were content just to retain possession and safe possession at that too. So so I think those changes did help influence the flow of the game. It, a little bit called wood fashion Hail Mary, just throwing as many attacking bodies onto the pitch as you could at the same time. But yeah, there was there was absolutely justification for taking Scott Brown off um, on on Sunday. Just like there was justification for taking off any, either of the other two, to be honest. This is the, the first time that since Lewis Ferguson's been here that we've seen him either be... He was pulled off at halftime in Iceland as well, if you recall. And that's the first time that's really happened to him whilst he's been here. So in terms of people who might have been thought untouchable, then um, I, I don't think Glass would be afraid to make that change. But you've got to remember that Brown is basically Glass's guy on that pitch. And I think... As far as he is available to to play, he will he will be there and he will. Yeah, Simon Richard Richard mentions his, uh, Ramirez there. I thought he was cut. I, th- I thought he was cut. He came quite deep, quite a lot. Um, but that's not really a problem when we've got you know we've got this guy Samuels obviously uh, who is quite quick. Seems to be that he, if you've got pace like that, he'll be able to get in behind more often. So I mean, it, not that he perhaps he won't be pay, playing as a two with Ramirez, but. You definitely have options there where you don't. You can allow you know, Ramirez in the way that we've seen Jet perhaps maybe dropping into midfield more. Um, this it's something that's interesting going forward where we perhaps won't see Ramirez being the out and out striker. We could po- possibly see the guy who is clearly, clearly the quicker the quick- in Samuels um, doing do, trying to get forward more. Yes, and I think you know we've obviously signed two signed Samuels and Watkins in the space of a day and. Uh, clearly, in my view, they are there in different ways to provide support to Ramirez. Um, Ramirez, I don't think, can play as a lone striker at all. He doesn't have the ability to hold the ball up well enough. Um, I think his uh, touch is a little suspect, but I think he's the kind of guy who will get a lot of goals. Um, I, I used to be driven to distraction by Harold Stavrum when he played for Aberdeen, um, who whose touch was poor and would be muscled out off the ball very easily. He used to be very weak as far as I was concerned, but he, he used to get goals. And Ramirez is going to be the same. 
he was close to getting a tap in on a on a low cross across the face of the goal before he got his goal, and his following in and and general goal threat is is better than we've had for a long time. However, um, we are going to have to accept the fact that his contribution outside the box is pretty weak at times, and so my view is we've got we've got in different ways. Um, Watkins, when when he played last season, was very good in the, in that role of, of of holding the ball up and bringing other players in. Samuels has got tremendous pace. Um, a question mark maybe over over the end product, but in fairness, you know if you have got a guy who's running at, at defenders like that, it does it does cause problems. And he was putting balls across the face of goal, but you know we didn't get on the end of them. But he but he was still getting them in. So, to my mind, you know Ramirez will be the the number one striker in the sense that he is our main goal threat, a guy who's going to score goals. And if we've got a striker who's got five goals in the first 10 or 11 games, then that's a decent return. And I think they'll want to, to build on that. But we have to accept that he's going to need other players. And this is this is part of the issue that, you know, we've only got 11 places in the team. And if we play, play three centre midfielders, then we're going to have to look at how we, you know, what our formation is and, and how we go about getting the support to him. Because I think... Uh, in some of the games that that um, where you know where Ramirez has been up front in his own, he's just looked hopelessly detached from the rest of the the team and not equipped with the the, the skills to bring the other players in. So hopefully, as I say, um, Watkins and Samuels can help him with that. I mean, quite honestly, Simon, it, it was really only that first game against Hecken that we managed to successfully get Emmanuel Thomas to link properly with the striker. There's been hints and. Little moments when Ryan Hedges has managed it, and um, obviously we've missed him the last couple of games. But yeah, it's it, it's definitely been one of the things that have gone backwards since that opening day of the season. Some difficulty in working out what position Jet is and what position he's been instructed to to play in, because there's been times where he's been dropping in a central position so deep that he's almost on top of the, the defensive central midfielders. And then there's been other times where he's been away wide on the right. Um, and, and I must say, um, it may well be my, my ignorance, but I, I had thought that when we got Jet, we were acquiring a target man. And now that we've got him, it's, he, it appears to be nothing of the sort. He's, uh, he's um, well, I, I don't even, I, I'm not really terribly sure um, what specific role he is. Uh, I suspect that with these new signings, his role is going to be reduced somewhat. I know he did well when he came on as a sub against Hearts, but I, I, I don't think that he links up well enough with um, Ramirez, and I think that that's what we're looking for from Samuels and Watkins now. Yeah, but yeah, to but be fair, fair, and we have gone in two-footed a couple of times with Emmanuel Thomas, it, the system we're playing is essentially a 4-2-3-1, and the onus is on each of the guys who are playing off the striker to try... And do better at getting closer to Ramirez and partner Ramirez and, and getting amongst the goals and getting amongst the chances. And obviously we've been playing Ojil as one of uh, one of the three attacking midfielders, which has been an interesting choice. Um, he's done better than might have been expected, but I still don't think he's anything near to the level to which he'd be playing as an attacking midfielder for a team with pretensions of you know finishing in the top three of this league. Um, so that's been a bit mystifying that he's continued to be selected in that position as other options open out. I still wonder if before tomorrow night, uh, Finzo Ojo might find his way back to, to a club in the English third tier. Um, let's just wait and see on that one, I guess. Uh, ben, ben um, um, for all Malky Mackay's faults, you know, he, he, something he was capable of is he is, is 
organising a defence in a half decent way anyway. Um, but we still created chances yesterday. Problem is that there's there, as Simon mentioned there, there seems to still be a lack of cutting edge uh, ongoing where we there was balls across the box that weren't getting you know we really could have been converting. Um, how much of a concern is that, or is it just is it just goes back to what we spoke about earlier where? No, with time on the training pitch, now that they're not playing Thursday, Sunday, um, these things will come. Just to touch on your Malky McKay point as well, and I mean, people have different opinions on the, on the guy as a person, but County were excellent to just hone the game down, taking the sting out of the game. There was a couple of times when players would have injuries and, uh, and you would peer down at the the county, county dugout and the physio, the referee would be calling for the physio to come on the pitch to deal with it, and Malky would just very slyly just be putting his hand down as if to say no, no, just try and wait as long as you can, delay it as long as you can before coming on the pitch. Just little things like that help to, to take the sting out of the game. A, a very experienced football guy, very experienced football manager. But back on the Aberdeen and, and lacking the cutting edge, I think it probably does come down to to having that or that lack of time on a, on a training pitch. I mean, you, you think of some of the goals that Aberdeen scored early in the season, the ones against Dundee United with the way Ramsey broke down the right, um, Ramirez in between the middle of them, the, hay, the ball over the top, the Hayes run across the, the United defence, some of the set pieces, these are all those goals that you are pretty much copied and pasted from the training ground and, and that, I mean it's a, it's a real modern fad to kind of map out how teams play now, I mean there was a great video of Jack Ross talking Hibs through um, what they would do when attacking, it was on Twitter recently. So, so teams like to do that now, but you, you haven't really saw that in the last few games. You've never seen an Aberdeen attack that's something you would say is, is straight from the training ground. We've, we've, we've kind of just been, it's been a little bit gung-ho in that sense and there's no been that sort of rhythm to it, if you, if you know what I mean. But Richard, we we lost um, we lost another poor goal against them. I mean, you're, we're hoping obviously Bates is going to come in and remedy this Um and like we mentioned earlier, him coming in gives Glass options, of course, given how given how short we are in that area. Yeah, of course he does. But we're going to eventually realise that it's a system as much as the personnel that are causing us problems at the back. Of course, things are being exacerbated by poor individual mistakes, like McClory coughing up possession cheaply for their second goal on Thursday night. And you analyse any goal, you'll find individual mistakes. But... The system and the way in which we're wedded to trying to play out from the back with defenders who, well, who are Scottish defenders, let's just leave it at that. And if they get pressed, they they panic and um, they will cough up possession and will cough up chances. And there'll be massive spaces behind the fullbacks all game. Thursday night, every time I looked up on Thursday night, it seemed that uh, Carabag had overloads in that position two on one. Um, we've lost County weren't quite the same because they weren't committing quite as many bodies forward but they were pressing quite high in our, on our back three because obviously it's it's more of a it's a 3-4-3 three, three with the ball that we tend to play um, and those back three we weren't getting it forward quickly and our starting position was much deeper than we would have wanted it to be again you look back to the opening game of the season which would have come after considerable time on the training ground and again, maybe it's against an opposition who weren't quite as well drilled or weren't quite as focused on stopping us playing. But we were starting position that was much, much higher for our centre-halves. And maybe that's been a tweak. Maybe it's because Glass has seen that we keep getting exposed down, down the full-back areas, so we're going to start a little bit deeper. 
but then you start those players deeper, it becomes harder to make uh, clear, you know, it becomes harder to create goal-scoring opportunities, which was essentially what we saw last year, is we tried to play it from the back, barely made it over the halfway line before being forced into a position where we're lumping the ball. Sunday was a bit unusual in that we did actually create quite a lot of openings and half chances. Nothing really massively clear-cut, apart from maybe the Austin Samuels header, which people <laughs> to use a favourite phrase he should have done better with um, rather than just pop it straight at the keeper although I accept that he had to try and create a lot of the um, power on the ball himself so it, it was going to be one of those really frustrating afternoons but eventually throwing on more attacking bodies playing a little more, bit, bit more directly and then some really good play by Emmanuel Thomas uh, gets us that goal um, would have been ruled out for offside anyway. I think the linesman raised his flag and the, the referee played advantage. I didn't know you could do that. Oh, I didn't see that. But of course, that would have been right at your end of the pitch. So uh... I, 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 I tend to miss quite a lot of the pitch, but I, I certainly <laughs> got that one. <laughs> I mean, Simon County probably had the better of the chances. Um, well, we no, we dominated all the stats and areas that, at the end of the day, they don't really matter. You know, shots on. You know, shots and oh, shots and all that kind of stuff, and corners and all the possession, that kind of stuff. That you know, it's nice to see the stats, but it doesn't really mean anything at the end of the day. I mean, it's nothing to be concerned about just yet, is it? It's, it the, look at this team. You know, we've got new players in. This is just a matter of time, and it'll click, isn't it? Oh well, I don't know about that. Um, <laughs> that's being very positive. We can get Richard on to temper that kind of enthusiasm down in a second. But um, I, I think that if we'd, you know, they had the. They had the chance that they scored from, and then they had two other very good chances, and Lewis had a good save for one of them, and then we got very lucky with the flick off of uh, Ramsey's heel when uh, the boy had gone past the goalkeeper. So we were lucky on on that one. And I think, you know, if we had had a um, disabilitating 2-0 defeat in the game, then um, I don't think everyone would have thought, well, it'll all be rosy when everything clicks. But I think, um, first of all, they didn't score. Uh, and and we did you know we did have it that's what the goalkeeper's for we had a good save um but also um it's not lost on me that we have taken five points from losing positions after only four games so you know we got the win at Livingston having been behind we got a draw at Tynecastle having been behind and we got a draw um when really time was running out in the in the um, Ross County game and to me that's something to be really pleased about that there is this spirit and attitude that the the guys had just to keep going keep going keep going and yeah you know you, you're right about the chances that that Ross County had and could maybe have, have put the game um behind but with the 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 flow of the game um in the second half was all us attacking at the end attacking and attacking and attacking and maybe we weren't making brilliant chances and you know there were there were you know certain areas where we could have done a lot better but we were still there was a spirit there was a, a, a drive to keep going and in the end I think that's what got us a draw and I'm not suggesting for a minute that we should be doing somersaults about getting a home draw with Ross County or anything like that but we've signed 10 new players we were talking about two new players coming into the team but you know there's four or five other guys who are new to the to the squad as well um I, I I think you know eight points from the opening four games, admittedly with a reasonably benign fixture list to get us started. Um, that's not too bad so far, I would say. I mean, Richard, Richard. You, 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 Simon's kind of called you out there. So I mean, what you're what you're going to tell me is that 
Against Livingston, we needed a goalkeeper mistake to get back into the game. Against um, Ross County, we needed a goalkeeper mistake to get back in the game. I can feel it coming. Come and give me what I want to hear. No, all I'm going to say is I think there's there's a blueprint already emerging from Scottish teams as to how to play Stephen Glass's Aberdeen, and um, that you know we struggled to to earn a point on Saturday. We've uh, lost to Ross County. They've been encouraging displays against um, Dundee United, which was a bit of a damp squib of a game, really. Um, and there was an, there was a degree of encouragement in how we reacted at Tancastle. And yeah, I think Simon's right, absolutely right to highlight the battling qualities, but it's it's disappointing that we're finding ourselves going behind in these games. It's disappointing that we're that we're needing to react to going a goal behind. Um of course you you can't expect it to click to flow immediately. Of course you can't. And we were just like we were given a false impression of Carabag after that uh, first leg in Baku, we were probably given a false impression of this new Aberdeen team based on that wonderful first evening against Hecken. And you can't expect nights like that every time, of course. But clearly this is the, the, the sort of result that a manager not in his honeymoon period would get pilloried for, unquestionably. And again, when we're talking about everyone laying the individual blame on defenders for their individual mistakes... A manager only gets the benefit of that for the first, first maybe nine, twelve months, and then there's a lot more focus on how he's setting up the team as opposed to the players. The players would get in the neck as well. Don't get me wrong, but there'd be a lot more focus on how he sets up the team and what he's doing to try and counteract the issues that we're having defensively. So it is still in that early phase of the phase of the season, the early phase of a, a very new team and a, a different way of playing. Although we have to point out that there is quite a lot of similarities in how we play as to how we started set up under Derek McInnes. It's still that 4-2-3-1 predominantly. It still turns into a 3-4-3 with the ball and a 5-4-1 without the ball. There's some variation in terms of the um, sort of wide players in the attacking three tend to come inside whereas under Derek McInnes you had Johnny Hayes and Nam again going outside all the time and again and again and again so there's a lot more focus on that and then using the full-backs to overlap. Now, the full-backs were a constant source of goals and assists under Derek McInnes in the early years, but that really dried up. So we're already seeing some really encouraging signs from the two young full-backs, from Ramsey and McKenzie. But it's not the sort of revolution that I think a lot of people believe it actually is from a playing style point of view. It's definitely 10 to 15 yards further up the pitch, or at least that's the intention. We spoke earlier on about how that's that's maybe been pulled back a little bit. And it's definitely asking a hell of a lot more of the fullbacks uh, from an attacking sense. So obviously we'll see how see how this pans out in the fullness of time. There have been encouraging signs in the initial weeks, but there's also been games that have been quite frustrating and elements of I think teams working us out pretty quickly. Uh, Simon, was that negative enough for you? It, it wasn't as bad as I feared, to be honest, Richard. <laughs> so that's a turn up for the books, Richard. That's almost that's almost a, a thumbs up. Obviously, transfer window closes um, well, tomorrow. Uh, nothing confirmed as yet, um, Ben. I'm looking specifically at you. Nothing confirmed just yet. Uh, we've heard rumours of a, another bid for well, a bid or another bid from Blackbird or some interest uh, for Ryan Hedges. Um, mm-hmm. And we, of course, have the ongoing situation with Ferguson, which we kind of mentioned earlier. 
Um, are you still holding out on us? Are we going to get a scoop? I've, I've not got any scoops for you, and if I did have any scoops for you, I'd be going to my, my sports desk with it rather than you guys. I do apologise for that, <laughs> but I need to go to the people who actually pay me for it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> no, um, I, I would expect a, a few bodies to leave uh, Pataudry in the final day of the window, to be honest. I mean, Matty Kendall, whether he goes or not, I don't know. Um, Hedges is obviously courting a bit of interest. Um, Ferguson's actually away on international duty at the minute, so I don't know how that ties in in terms of getting medicals done if if a club comes in for him because he he should be on the flight to to Denmark with Scotland, um on Tuesday, so that that might be a factor there. I'm 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 merely speculating, uh, but I no you would expect to see boys go out and loan. I would, I don't think anybody will come in, uh, but I mean I've not heard of anything concrete, um in terms of of bids. For any of the Aberdeen players, um, but <laughs> I'm sure we, we might read about it in a couple of the tabloids at half past ten tonight. Yes, Simon. I mean, the manager did say that that's pretty much the the business in terms of people coming in, probably done. So you're looking at you're looking at guys going out. I mean, without out with those two, uh, obviously, as Hedges and Ferguson, the one that there's been the most speculation about. I thought I thought perhaps Dean Campbell might be someone that would go out and get game time, but now he finds himself as sort of him and Mackenzie are going to be sharing left back duties. Um no who who I mean other than you mentioned McGee earlier is though is that the one that perhaps maybe we might see, we might moving, see on? moving on? Well McGeek must be on a pretty decent deal with us and I can't imagine he will be happy with the amount of game time he's had. Whenever I see McGeek, you know, I always think there's a really good player there. I'm just not sure that the system that we are playing suits him properly. He's a really good pass to the ball, intelligent player, hard worker. Um, but I, I, I just am not convinced that it's ever going to work for him with us. And with the signing of Longstaff, he's now further down the, the pecking order. And to me, it would make more sense for us to keep Campbell and have him available for both a central midfield and a, a potential left-back role. And also, I, I thought one of the things that we had... Um, the reasons we'd got Scott Brown, it was to try and develop Campbell because I, th- I thought, and I may be wrong about this, that he was still seen as a guy who could really come on, but maybe needed to become a bit more sort of streetwise, etc. So I don't know if he if we'd be better off keeping him with us. Um, the other one I thought about is Niall McGinn. Uh, I, with all these new players coming in, I, I can't see how he is going to get any meaningful game time. He started the game at um, Livingston and really struggled to make any sort of um, impact. Um, And I think he could still potentially uh, do a job for a team, whether it would be, um, whether you get an SPFL team to to take him um, or lower league in England. But I think, you know, he's still in the Northern Ireland squad and someone would, I think, take him. Uh, he'll be lucky to maintain his position in the Northern Northern Ireland squad if he isn't able to get a game with us at all. So it occurred to me that he was one that you know must have moved significantly down the pecking order with the arrival of of Samuels and Watkins and probably you know behind McLennan as well if and when he's available. So I had you know like you I had Campbell, um, but McGinn and 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 McGeech were two. I suppose it depends on what happens with with Hedges. Um, to much for me. Um, with the amount of money that we're talking about for Hedges, is it worth us taking um, something like half a million for him um, when he's only got a, a year to go or keeping him for this season? Um, I, I don't know. I, I wouldn't be desperate to take. Unless we got a decent offer, I'd probably rather keep him. 
But if there are English Premier League clubs and English Championship clubs not looking at Petardry and seeing Calvin Ramsey tearing down the right wing from right back, then they're really not doing their jobs. And I mean, I, I, I wouldn't expect them to leave Aberdeen um, in this window. I, I mean, if there are any bids for them, I would ex- expect the club to hold their nerve. But certainly certainly when it comes to January and, and next summer, I mean, that is... That is going to be a real, a real episode there, isn't it? Absolutely, Ben. And um, I mean, obviously, he was on a three-year deal because that was the maximum he could sign at the time, being under eighteen. I, I, I'm not fully okay with it with the contract rules, but I think he's he now would be able to sign a longer-term one. And honestly, the club should be looking to do that because I'm sure it wasn't a, a big deal that he signed back in January. But um, you're quite right from a, from a scouting perspective. I hope we don't just get the six months that we that we saw from Ryan Fraser, but frankly, you're looking at the, the sort of same idea of him game after game after game, producing to a really high level and influencing games. And um, you're right, they would be remiss if they weren't um, scouting and looking at him, and I'm, I'm sure some clubs are. Rangers have reputedly knocked back £8 million well, let's for hope, let's uh, Nathan Patterson, so uh, that's the kind of ballpark we should be looking at. Absolutely, definitely, Simon. I mean, you know, he's he he's a vital part of our plans going forward now. So I think that any kind of bids that come in for him will need to be serious money, despite the fact that he's not played a lot of games. I mean, Patterson's not played a lot of games, so we should definitely be holding out for him. But let's hope uh, that nothing come, particularly for him, because he's got a you know, he's got a long time in um, in his future for Aberdeen. Um, I would love to win some trophies first. Um, before he moves on. Uh, but with that, that brings an end to our podcast this week. Uh, it's been really enjoyable. I want to thank our guest. Thank you very much, Simon Cato. Not at all. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you. And thank you to Ben Palmer. You, know, you did very well by holding out on us, Ben. Your position, as you say, in the magic circle will remain safe. <laughs> I'm glad to hear that. Thanks. Thanks, guys. No problem. Um, so, yeah, we'll be back. Um, we'll be back after the international break. Um, so um, until then, uh, particularly the Aberdeen players that are wearing out in Africa, uh, come on you Reds.